welcome to the Motorsport Coaching Podcast, sponsored by Motivate Training and Management. This is a podcast where we talk to drivers and industry experts to help you maximize your performances on and off the track. Let's get started with today's show. Hi guys, welcome to episode 23. This week, my guest is Mr. Josh Hunt. For those who don't know Josh, he's been racing motorsports forever really, but basically he started his motorsport career at the age of 11, moving to Europe at the age of 16. He has raced pretty much every single category in Australia with his highlight racing the Toyota Atlantic Championship in the US in 2004. He's recently returned from Southeast Asia where he placed third in the Asian Le Mans series and been setting up a young driver development program for karting. And now he is a co-owner of Volanto Rosso, which has a team in the Porsche and GT Cups. So in this episode, we're going to talk to Josh about dealing with life overseas, about racing overseas, about coming back to Australia and definitely setting up his team with his new team boss. So stay tuned. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. So welcome to the show, Josh. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Now, after doing some research yesterday, I was amazed by how much racing you've done overseas and everywhere else. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been a fun ride, you know. I think it all started at early ages, just coming through, but it all became quite serious as a job from about 16, 17. So yeah. now being mid-30s, 16, 17 feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> yeah, it would, no doubt. So tell us a little bit more about yourself, Joshua. Where did you start your career? Um, I was in karting, and then where, where, what kind of categories have you raced throughout your time? Yeah, I mean, karting was like most drivers was was very important to it all. It, you know, I started off very modestly. You know, we we just did the club day stuff in like rookies, midgets back then, which is now cadets. Then sort of made it through the national classes, and and again, it was really just not necessarily a a, a big push from mum and dad. It was just something to keep keep me occupied and and on on the straight and narrow, and and it definitely did that. But then it, it evolved quite quickly when I when I got to about 15 I, I got a lot more serious about it you know puberty happened and then things started to develop in a way that that definitely helped me deal with pressure the physical side of it and and then it, it, it seemed like I blinked through a, a successful year here in Australia that then then rocketed me off to, to Europe over there it was it was Formula A which I guess I'm not sure what that equates to now in karting but but it was Definitely the highest that we had here in Australia, and it was the second highest available to to world karting, mm-hmm. and that that was huge to work for a uh, a factory team that that their main focus was was based on going racing and and not necessarily se- selling go karts. So that that was really cool because there was a lot of areas of, of development, both personally but also equipment wise, that I, I wouldn't normally have learned. I had a great mentor and. And teammate in in fellow Aussie Ben Horseman, who who went over, you know, years and years ago. But but he really took me under his wing and 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 was definitely a school of hard knocks under Ben. You know, he made sure that I was doing all of the right things and none of the wrong things, and and in a go kart a lot. And there wasn't a whole lot of praise, but I definitely knew, knew when I didn't get it right. 
um, and, and I think that really set me up for the for the hardships of what was ahead. And what was some of those hardships? Oh, I, I, I don't I don't think there was anything specific or, or it, it wasn't it wasn't you know a difficult ride because I had so much determination to do it. Mm-hmm. So everything that that I've done throughout my career, I wanted to. But but being away from home as a as a mid like as a sixteen year old was was difficult. I didn't recognise it at the time because I was so determined to to do what I was doing, and and everything for me was just about racing. And and I had people around me over there in in my team, boss uh, Nello Brancato and and Ben, who really um. Who really kept me busy and kept him, and kept me in a go kart. And when I wasn't in a go kart, I was I was sweeping floors and, and working in the factory. So I really didn't have any time to get homesick as such. But but that's definitely something that plays on you when you don't when you don't have that support network because as a teenager you never want to uh, appear to be weak. Mm-hmm. And so you put on that tough face a little bit more often than what you would if you were at home and sleeping in your own bed and having mum do your washing and all those kind of things. And, and you know, even on that, it, the little things like laundry and, and food shopping and making sure my phone always had credit at such a young age was the little things I wasn't prepared for, where the racing side of it, I had plenty of time to, to prepare myself for because it's what I always wanted to do. Yeah, and what did you do to overcome that? You just obviously just jumped in the deep end and started doing everything, or you had Ben obviously. Um, like, did, did you live by yourself, or were you living with Ben? No, so I I lived in a in a factory. So uh, I worked. Uh, the race team I was with was Biesica, which isn't around anymore, but but back then was quite successful. And their core business was aluminium ladders and scaffolding. So in a little corner of that quite large factory was was the go-kart department and above the offices was a little two-bedroom apartment that I, I lived in there as the permanent resident and then I there was you know a constant flow of either scaffolding workers or, or go-kart mechanics and engine tuners that would come and stay there oh. so yeah I, I did have to do a lot of it myself you know I, I learned how to cook over there I learned how to speak Italian I learned how to do all of these things all at once and you know I think with such a constant influx of new lessons to learn I couldn't focus on how hard just one of them was and so so it was sort of just you know bite down hard and and get through it but but as I said like you know it it sounds it sounds like it was hard but at the time it was all I ever wanted to do so I was just enjoying the experience and 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 everything that got thrown at me so much that that you know what what might have been difficult just didn't appear that way at the time you just stuffed it up, really. Yeah, basically, basically, and you know, I mean, but that's that's the industry in a whole. It doesn't matter whether you're whether you're in Italy as a teenager or or you're here in Australia as as a you know forty year old looking at retirement. You know, it's it's always hard because you're you're constantly exposed in the game. Everybody's always judging you without knowing all the facts, and it's it's purely performance based. So, you know. Few people forget. I mean, few people remember all of the good things you do, or or even even one or two of the good things you do. But everybody remembers all the bad stuff. And you look at guys of late, and and you know, to pick two, you take Craig Lowndes. Now he's undoubtedly one of the best that's ever come through. But but he's he's had a, a tough year, and then he comes out and wins Bathurst this year. I mean, the guy has always been great. He's always known how to drive a car, but. 
running fourth or fifth all of a sudden wasn't enough for everybody watching. And, and, and they're just a few of the things that, that you sort of deal with. And then, you know, Jamie, Jamie Wincup, I mean, the guy's a guru. He's, he's won more than anybody else and he'll continue going on winning against, you know, the, the next young gun that comes through. But there's still those people out there trying to knock him down. And, and that's just a reality of, of any sport, but, but particularly this sport. They're jealous. They're envious. They were all wanting to strive to be at the top. Oh, absolutely. And then that's where that's where you good guys will always be good. And it doesn't matter whether they're a a you know a football player or a race car driver. It's that mental toughness that makes the difference. Yeah. So, Joshua, you have raced a few categories. So, car, Formula Ford, Champ Cars, Porsche, Sports Cars, Gemini's, Ferraris, GT. What's been your favourite category? Oh, I, I, I think the stuff I did in the U.S. was definitely a highlight. You know, as, as a kid, I grew up on the Gold Coast watching that IndyCar race, and that's all I ever wanted to do. So, you know, a lot of people say Ayrton Senna was the hero, and for me, that wasn't always the case. You know, for me, it was more the Paul Tracy's, the Jimmy Vasses of the world that, that, that I looked up at because that's that's where I wanted to be. And, and to be able to realise, you know, a fair way towards that dream. I, I didn't get there, but to be able to, to get so close and have your childhood heroes that, that end up mentoring you, then that's definitely a highlight. You know, the, the way they do things in the US is so different. It's so exposed in some areas where where the, the way the pit stops are done, the way the garaging and everything's set up, you're out in the open, you're exposed to fans and and exposed to, to the atmosphere, which is something really special that you don't get a lot of in most motorsport, especially modern day. Yeah. Um, but then on the other side, they're so advanced in, in some of their methods and procedures and, and the technology that goes into it all. And, and you can really see the way that, that Penske has influenced DJR since they've taken you know, taking a big part in that team and the way that Walkinshaw has, has and, and, you know, United Autosport has really managed to to add another element to Walkinshaw's effort, you know, like that, that's huge, you know, and, and it really shows that, that the different approach from what they do in the US does have its value. And to be a part of that was awesome, you know, so I'll, that'll always be a highlight. Sounds amazing. Did you get to go to lots of different tracks over there? What type of the tracks did you go to? At the time, I was involved in the Champ Car Roadshow, not in Champ Car itself, but but in Atlantics, which was the feeder series. So so we did 12 of the 16 races that Champ Car did, and, and most of those being street circuits. You know, we'd start off the year with Long Beach and end the year with Laguna Seca, and, and, you know, in the middle of that, we had Toronto. We did Vancouver, the last Vancouver street race, which was really special. You know, Montreal... And, and then to some of the biggest road circuits in the world with Road America. And, and you know, all of the circuits had their own little unique qualities and demanded vastly different car setups and driving approaches. And I think that that definitely helped me adapt to different cars throughout my career. But if I had to pick one, it would probably be the Toronto Street Circuit like that. That was really special, you know, like that's it's such a an all in street circuit with no margin for error and you know, really rewarding when you do get it right. Awesome. And so how long did you live that international race car driving lifestyle or compete internationally? I like to think I never stopped. 
I am back in Australia, living in Perth, but some people would consider Perth international still. True. <laughs> But no, no, I, I, yeah, I guess, you know, that, that first stint was a good five years. And then since being back, you know, there's been multiple trips to, to Europe, the US, you know, quite a bit in Asia of recent times. And really, you know, the dream was evolved from being a champ car driver to, to earning a living out of racing a car. And, you know, to do that, I had to adapt, I guess, my goals mm-hmm. to not not being specific about driving a car, but, but particularly just driving a car and, and continuing to be in the seat so that you could stay relevant. And how did you go around um, sponsorship? Was sponsorship different gaining it over in the US to Australia? What's some of the differences that you've come across? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, sponsorship's always a tough thing to, to deal with in any sport, in any any environment. It's no different in cars and then, and probably a little bit trickier in cars because you know, in a lot of professional sports, the, the sponsorship dollars go into the athlete and, and, you know, creating a living for them. For us in motorsport, quite often, you know, the sponsorship dollars is going to just getting the car on the track. And if we do get a little piece of the pie as the athlete at the end, it, it's substantially smaller than what goes into the car and the team. And trying to explain that to, to companies and, and, and really extract the value from that is always tricky, but it's not impossible. You know, a- admittedly, when I was in the US, I was, I was fairly lucky. I was, I was the younger person in that older, older motorsport world where we were just being paid to drive. So I didn't need to wor- worry about the sponsorship stuff. And we, we had people around there doing that for us. And, and that was great at the time. But admittedly, it was, it was what ended up stopping my career in the U.S. because I was I was young and I had a lot of faith in the people around me, and and that faith wasn't misplaced. But the realities of business was that that their attention had to go to other places that that didn't include me. And and at that point, I didn't know how to raise sponsors myself. And you know, so so that U.S. dream came to an end. Since then, I've been quite determined in in learning how to do it. I still don't think I know how to do it. Sometimes you, you get lucky and you pull one through. But, but the main thing I've focused on is, is just being upfront and honest about it. You know, like it's, uh, the, it's, the reality is sponsorship is going to be for some people and it's not going to be there for others in, in the value side of it. And there's going to be more no's than there are yeses. But once you do get that yes, it's regardless of the amount of money coming in, who it is, how it happens, is just putting as much effort into it as you possibly can to make sure that that person comes out the other side happy and smiling and, and feeling like it was worthwhile. Because even if those deals or relationships or partnerships didn't extend on to the next race or the next season, it always helped me develop what I did for the next next sponsorship that came along. So I don't think there's any pattern or well, I haven't. I definitely haven't found a formula. But yeah, it just seems to be, you know, learning from what didn't work from the time before and adapting it to the next one. Awesome advice there. Thanks for that, Josh. Now, for three years, you were the race team director with Energy Course Asia. What were you doing there? Is that when you first came, uh, sorry, the last time you came back to Australia? Yeah, so where I was over in Asia at the time doing some driving and coaching of, of different levels of drivers. And I, you know, reconnected with my, my first go-kart boss over there in, in Mickey Panagata with Energy Course. And he asked if they, they were trying to 
to expand into Asia and ask if I'd like to be involved in that. So, you know, we took some time and, and, and ended up going over there and doing it. And, you know, it was, it was really good. You know, Asia is a, is a completely different place altogether. And, you know, the, the thing that I, I had to learn the most about Asia was how you operate with different cultures because the cultural aspect of it is so important. And it's something I've not have had to consider a lot in previous, you know, in previous work situations. So yeah. that was really good. You know, we, we got some great drivers through. You know, I think I've got two of those drivers that I, I brought through there and now over in the U.S. in both Formula 4 2000 and Star Mazda. You know, a few of them are quite a bit younger that have made their way through to Europe racing carts. You know, one of them is back here in Australia doing quite well in juniors in AKC. So, you know, like we're, you know, as, as a coach or a, or a team owner, it's really nice to see that, you know, your drivers that come through you from an early start go on and, and start realising their own dreams. And, it's, you know, you always like to think that you've, you've had a, a part in that no matter how big or small. So, so that was really good fun, you know, and, and as it evolved, it, well, I had one of the fathers there who was, who was really enthusiastic about it, had three kids of his own coming through. He ended up, you know, by buying that race team and, and it's still going over there now. And it's cool to see that still operating and still pressing on. You know, it was fun to get back into the go-karting side of things, but at the same time, getting married while I was over there and, and wanting to have kids myself, you know, staying in Asia probably wasn't a, a reality. And, and now that we're back home, you know, that, that side of it's a lot easier. And there's been some really cool things come out of, you know, that experience over there and moving back to Australia and, and what's evolved with what I'm doing now. And Josh, what do you think the differences are in the pathways to the top, I guess? between Australia, Europe, and, and the US? Do you think it's easier here in Australia? Do you think it's harder like to get to the main game, whether it's supercars or um, international racing? Yeah, I, I definitely don't think it's easy anywhere. The, the one thing that I've learned that any driver at the top of their, their game in any category is good. And, and that, that's been something that I've seen everywhere. It doesn't matter whether it's you know, Formula V at a state level series or it's Formula One, you know, it's the guys at the front of the field are always good and it's normally opportunity or or circumstance that, that has changed the path on the way through because driving is not a natural skill that you get, you know, it's something that's developed and everybody at the top of their game has had to develop to get to that point. So I think, you know, Australia's evolved a lot since, since I was coming through over here, you know, the technology, the, the money, even the, the driver development and, and the physical development that a lot of the young guys are doing here is just phenomenal. You know, and I remember when Mark Winterbottom in the early days started training with Essendon, you know, that was, that was a big thing. But, but now, you know, with so many human performance companies around and involved in motorsport it really shows that the attention to detail and the effort that all of these drivers are putting into it and the teams so you know in answer to your question no it's it's definitely not easier here in australia if anything it's probably harder because there's so many young drivers coming through over here and there's only one place for everyone to go which is v8 supercars so that really narrows down the ability of of being able to become a professional driver I think you go overseas, it, it gives that 
olive tree kind of effect where there's so many branches that you can go off onto and and you look at, at guys like uh, Josh Bird and Scott Andrews who did a little bit of racing back here but for the most part are probably unknown back here in Australia but then over in Asia and, and Europe these guys are, are at the top of the Le Mans prototype sort of racing and LMP3 they've done Josh has just started in Chinese touring cars which is an extremely hard place to get into you know Scott Andrews won at Spa a few weeks ago in LMP3 in European Le Mans and and these are guys you know that just I guess had the balls to look outside the square and and tried something different and and it's definitely coming back their way. Uh, that's a good follow-on to my next question there, Josh. So you just uh, mentioned about Josh Burden doing the LMP3. Um, he currently became the director of LMP3 Cup in Australia. What what actually is that category and where will it be racing and when does it start? Yeah, so, yeah, that, that's, um, I'm one of the directors behind LMP3 Cup Australia and, and it's something that we're really excited about. You know, LMP3 isn't new. It's, uh, it's been around since 2015. It's, it's an initiative by French Car Club ACO, which is the owners of, uh, of Le Mans, 24-hour Asian Le Mans, and also World Endurance Championship. And, and they essentially started the, the LMP3 category as, a, as an entry point to the prototype world of racing. We're really excited about it coming to Australia because we've seen so many drivers, both young professionals or young aspiring professionals to gentlemen racers who are traveling all over the world to race LMP cars. So to bring that back to Australia is, was definitely something that, that we were quite keen on. And yeah, it's, it's been good that where we saw the interest lie has proven in the interest that, that is registered already. You know, like we've had a, a few milestones set to us by CAMS to become a category. And the first one was having six registered entries by the end of October, which we, we well and truly achieved. Now we're pressing on to get a total of 12 to be a category. And, and, and then we, we go from there. So we know that there's, there's two cars already on their way to Australia, which will be available for test drives shortly. And hopefully it, it can become something really cool. It'll you know, predominantly be around the, the one-hour racing of, of two drivers, you know, which follows the, the ACO Sprint Cup rulebook. And that was something that was quite important to us also to align ourselves with a company like the ACO to give it credibility off the bat. So it'll essentially use their rulebook and really follow the paths that have already been set by European Le Mans, what's happening in the US with IMSA, LMP3 and also Asian Le Mans. So you're looking for a 2020 kickoff or you're aiming for 2019? No, no, no. So, uh, yeah, 2019. So we'll have cars on track. Now, our our series needs to fit within the Asian Le Mans series and the Asian Le Mans series runs over Christmas. So it's a late November to February series. So, So we'll be working within those dates so that not only the Asian Le Mans guys can come down and run in our category, but also so our guys can go up to Asia and run in the in the longer distance Asian Le Mans category. And so much so our, our winner from the series wins an entry into the Asian Le Mans uh, worth about 40,000 US. So yeah, we're, we're really excited about the partnership with ACO and, and the potential of sending more Aussie drivers overseas and and maybe even to the lmp3 roads le mans race that happens as as a support to the uh le mans 24 hour and seeing if we can get more aussies on the podium wouldn't that be fantastic (laughs) yeah absolutely 
And so, Josh, you mentioned that you've moved back to Perth. You're settling down, got married, have got a baby on the way. So now you're moving into circuit motorsport management role. What's What does CMM do? Yeah, so essentially circuit motorsport management has, has been my trading company for a while. It started life as JHR Motorsports back in early 2000s when I went to the US. And now it's evolved more as a company that, that can encompass my not only my driving activities as a as a you know driving entity but but more so as as a as a coach um, as a mentor and and any events that we do we also use it as a company to operate and and manage all of the sponsorship programs that come through so that any sponsors that get involved in us have comfort in that where they're dealing with a real company that, that they're investing into and, and is managing the process. And, and within that company, we've got, we've got a chartered accountant, we've got an events producer, and all the key elements that we really need to execute a, a really successful sponsorship program. And so, so that's basically the background of CMM. Awesome. And in your spare time, you're also the director of Volanta Rosso. Is that how I say it? <laughs> Very close. Volanta Rosso, yeah. Yeah, with Chris you can say his last name, but how did that partnership come about? Chris Papadopoulos? Yeah, yeah, well done, Chris Papadopoulos. Yeah, so, I mean, Chris is, is a bit of a, oh, hopefully not as unknown now, but he's a bit of an unknown treasure. You know, this guy has is, is been in, in, he ran docking racing for a while when Will Power and Will Davidson were over there. He ran, uh, he's then been uh, involved in, in Renault F1 right back into the Alonso era through to the Kimi era, you know. So Chris has forgotten more than most people know. And, and I'm, I'm very, very honoured that he'll, uh, you know, he, he partners with, he's partnered with me and, and we're having a lot of fun. You know, Valente Rosso is really, you know, it's, it's a race team that, that we've been spitballing over for a few years. Actually, you know, the idea started when I was over in, in Asia and, and it's something that Chris and I are both really passionate about. You know, we, we feel that through my time in the US and Asia and, and, and what Chris knows from his time in Europe, we, we've got some, some good approaches and some good things that we can bring to the game. And, you know, this is our chance to try and do that. You know, we've, we've really opened it up. Or Chris has been working out of Lanto Rosso as an engineer for, for a couple of guys in in Australian GT being Peter Hackett, Tom Story and, and Jake Fouracre and uh, Tony Bates and, and had some huge success in the GT field. Also in Super 2 with Brenton Grove this year. And now our entry in the Carrera Cup with Valente Rosso is our first entry as a race team. And it's been a lot of fun, you know, like we, the, the thing with Carrera Cup is all of the teams and all of the people involved uh, are at the top of their game and doing, doing an exceptional job. You know, with with Carrera Cup, you can't cut any corners, you can't fudge your way through because it's it's just down to getting everything right from not only the car preparation and the engineering of it, but also the driving side of it. And I think that, well, I know that we're very happy in what we've been able to learn this year. Our approach now, our intention, this this whole thing was a was definitely a three year program from the beginning. You know, and our what we've managed to learn and, and tick off our, our to-do list in the first season has probably, you know, exceeded our expectations. You know, as far as our procedures, we wanted to, you know, trial a few different stuff because our intention is to expand and, and, and be running more cars and not, not too big so it gets out of our control, but, but big enough so that we, we, we can be 
identifiable as, as one of the top teams. And this year was really important for that. And as I said, you know, we've, we've managed to really exceed those expectations of what we've been able to achieve. You know, there were glimpses of glimpses throughout the year, which really showed, you know, the, the pace of what we had. But, you know, in, in all honesty, I, I think what, what the team was able to achieve was, was not really displayed by, by what I was doing with the car on the track. You know, I was making lots of mistakes. I was a little bit rusty, to say the least. You know, I decided a couple of years ago that I, I wasn't going to drive anymore and, and really just stepped away from it and, and hadn't put a helmet on or looked at a race car in that time. You know, so to get back into such a, a high, highly competitive category and, and be able to sort of be thereabouts as a single car entity, I was, I was pretty happy with it. But yeah, definitely plenty of areas that I need to clean up going into next year's season. And did you come across any challenges being a co-owner and a driver? Oh, there were, there were, I, I encountered a lot of challenges this year, <laughs> you know, uh, personally, but I, not specifically, no. You know, Chris, Chris does such an exceptional job of, of running a race team. There's less for me to do on a race weekend. You know, my involvement's really between the races and, and the corporate side of it. So the operations of the race team... My my involvement there is is as a driver, mm-hmm. um, and and having such good people around you and and such faith in those people, then there's there's not a whole lot of stress on that side of it because you know everything's being done as well as it can possibly be done. So in answer to your question, no, I, I didn't I didn't find any challenges there. You know, as as we grow um, into more cars, then then that might become more of an issue. But if it ever does, you know the the main focus in this is for Volante Rosso as a race team, not Josh Hunt as a driver. So, yeah. you know, if, if all's going well, then I can, you know, the time will come where I can step back and, and I won't be racing and I can stand there next to Chris in the pits as a, as a proud, weird dad of a race team. <laughs> and what are VR plans for next year, for 2019? Uh, well, you know, we're, as I said, we're committed to Carrera Cup. I think it's, you know, probably the, or no doubt, it's the best support category that we've got in Australia. Not just for, you know, top level guys to, to find a home and keep competitive, but also for young guys coming through and, and using the stepping stone to the next part in their career, which has easily been, been displayed by Jackson Evans, Dylan O'Keefe and, and Jordan Love. You know, like those guys have done such an awesome job and definitely made it, uh, a few of the old guys, including myself, step up and, and try a few things that we probably haven't had to do before. So, yeah, our commitment's there. We would like to, to run more cars. Ideally, if we could get to the to three cars, I think that's a good number. If add another pro-class car and, and one pro-am car to the fold, then that would really be exciting and fulfil what we would like as a model. You know, I, I think, you know, to have... Definitely in our situation to have a, a, a guy in the car as a number one driver who is in the car as a professional driver and, and got his heart set on going and winning races and, and being a Carrera Cup champion would be a huge huge asset to us as a team uh, to have that driving force behind it because, you know, in all honesty, I don't think that I've got that in me anymore, you know, through Fred focuses and different things like that but I could definitely be a, a really good number two driver so that's the way we'd probably like to develop it and of course you know the pro-am part of it is is quite important too because you need that that person coming through with a fresh set of eyes that probably looks at things a little bit differently than a professional driver does yep. and and ask the questions that aren't being asked 
So, um, so that's what we'd like to see. And, you know, we're, we're making good, good steps towards achieving that. So, so hopefully in the, in the coming month or two, we can tie those details up and be lining up with three cars next year. So from a team perspective, Josh, is that what you're doing now? Like what happens from a team within a team after the category's finished? Do you have a week's holiday and then you start planning again for 2019 or there's no rest for the wicked? (laughs) There's definitely no rest for the wicked. No, I mean, this is probably when we start getting busy. You know, like we've got a lot of things to do. We've got to, from our point of view, we've got to compile all of the data that we've, um, we've collected this year figure out what's useful, what's not, and, and prioritise all of that so that we can start off technically a really good year next year. We've got to evaluate all of our staff that we use this year and, you know, be able to place the right personalities together because it's, you know, it comes back to the old thing of a, a team of champions isn't always a champion team. And, you know, you've got really got to manage the personalities within the team. And I think we've got a, a really good group of guys that, that have developed together this year, but, you know, we're, we can shuffle them around into different different structures and different places that'll make it even better next year. And then, of course, the drivers. You know, we, we want to make sure it's not just about getting the best driver that we possibly can in the car. It's about getting a driver, you know, who who wants to be a part of what we're trying to do, you know. And, and to add to that, trying to get someone that fits that mould and, and uh, is either good with the sponsors that we can bring to the table for them or has a good sponsor pool themselves because, you know, the unfortunate reality of motorsport is it costs a lot of money and and somebody's got to pay for it along the way. And, and as a race team, we can only bring so much to it. So there is a, a component where the drivers need to bring something yeah. um, at this point in time. You know, in, in a perfect world, then that won't be the case and we can start paying drivers. But right now, that's, that's not where we're at. And then at the same time, be able to do a, a really good job for, for our pro-am driver that we take on because you know, these guys are, are the guys that do have different focuses. They are normally very time poor and, and exceptional business people that have, have put themselves in a position to be able to have this kind of money aside that they can go racing. And, and the fact that they want to go racing and not go play golf or, or go and buy a big, big boat is great because it just fuels our passion. So we want to make sure that not only we get the right person that we can do the best job for and fits in with our team environment, but also, you know, we can do a really great job for them in in them achieving their goals for doing this in the first place. Awesome. Sounds very exciting for the new year. Can't wait to see what happens. And so Josh, to finish off your busy day, you also do some project management work. Can you share with us what that work is or is it still top secret? No, no, no. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, like I've... uh, I've been lucky enough to to be taken in on a different fold uh, in the in the property world and uh, and still be linked to the motorsport world, which is great too. You know, we've there's a, a new track proposal for Western Australia um, that I've been working on since coming back to Australia, and it's been a lot of fun. You know, to go through the process of designing and or, or not not sorry, I'll rephrase that, not designing but working with our track designers in the UK. To, to come up with that, working with CAMS, FIA, Motorcycling Australia, and and all of the the key stakeholders there to to come up with a venue that's that's something pretty special that, that's going to really be good for everybody and and suit what what Western Australia needs at this point in time has been an awesome opportunity for me. It's it's made me look at another side of business and and I think definitely helped in the approach that I've I've taken with 
with my other interests also in motorsport. So, so that's been a lot of fun. You know, the job itself is probably fairly similar to, to team management. You know, you're, you're working the deadlines, managing budgets and, and, and keeping everybody happy along the whole way along, including levels of government. So, so that's been a lot of fun. And, uh, and, you know, I can't wait to see that, that come about and, and have another circuit over here in Western Australia. Yeah, it'll be fantastic for the sport. But I do have another question. When do you sleep? <laughs> uh, when my wife tells me to. Uh, she's 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 the boss and and she she manages me very very well. But no, I'm I'm you know I I I'm lucky. I've got such an awesome life away from work that you know I, I want to do both of them equally as much. And um and I as much as I enjoy the motorsport and the and the work and 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 keeping my mind active. Um you know just something as simple as going for a walk along the beach with my wife and my dog is probably my favorite thing to do um, and it's important to have those resets and, and times away from both because it really makes you appreciate them both when you're in there and and extract the most out of the time you're spending on them so so I'm, I'm very grateful to have both <laughs> you, you are very lucky um, now, Josh, do you have any advice for drivers that um, are wanting to take, I guess, that next step into their career and looking to join a team like VR if they've never done that before? Like, how do they approach the team owners or, um, you know, really engage in those, start those conversations? I, I, I really, well, I, I can't speak for the other teams, but, yeah. I mean, just pick up the phone. You know, where everybody's still a person and everybody's goals are, are temporarily aligned at some point in time, you know. So um, never die wondering. Pick up the phone, do your research and, and, and make yourself known, you know. Like, obviously, the easiest way to get into the race team is come with a budget and, you know, go racing. But even if, if the budget isn't there, you know, like these teams is as much as um, at all levels, whether they're at the front of the grid or the back of the grid, they've, they've got to have cars on the grid because that's, that's how they, you know, they pay salaries for the guys in the workshop, keep, keep the doors open. You know, the money doesn't always come in from the drivers. Sometimes the teams have to get proactive and, and go and find that. You know, if, if you can start building a relationship early with these, with these teams, you know, it just, it just uh, advances all of the potential for, for getting in the car at that point. And, and, you know, being a race driver, the, what you do in the car is the easy part. You know, it's, it's everything that you do outside of the car that determines the, the good guys from, from the guys that probably don't make it. So that would be my advice is just pick up the phone and make yourself known and, and build those relationships from an early stage. Yeah, and if someone's wanting to get in contact with you, um, what's the best way to do it? Is it through LinkedIn or through one of the email addresses? Well, I'm, I'm pretty contactable after being in Asia because you've got to be. So, um, but no, I, 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 my emails go 24 hours a day. You know, so I, I operate everything centrally out of my Circuit Motorsport email, which is josh at circuitmotorsport.com.au. And yeah, so, so definitely emails. Uh, simple enough and yeah I, I try to get back to them or funnily enough as much as I hate social media which isn't a good thing for an athlete but but I do you know Facebook's always a good way to get in touch with people when you don't have that, that finer detail of contact. 
And that's at Josh Hunt Racing. Is that the best one or through the VR one for Lunt or Ross? Uh, no, so it's, um, yeah, either prob- probably, um, you know, for, for the race team side of it is, is Volante Rosso Facebook or Instagram and, uh, or our website. You know, we've got, we've got contacts through all of that. Anything LMP3 related, the same through those two. And yeah, and all, all, all my personal stuff. You know, I, I quite often use Facebook as a way to get in touch with people that I don't have their number or their, or their contacts, you know, and it's, the reality is not everybody wants to hear from you, but uh, but the ones that do will definitely get back to you. Well, I'll put all those links into the show notes. Thanks very much for your time today, Josh. Uh, it was definitely awesome to hear a different perspective from someone um, being a team owner and going through Asia and, and America um, and coming back to Australia and continue their growth in, in the actual industry. So thank you very much for sharing your journey with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was good fun. No worries. Um, my final question is, what is your favourite racetrack in the world? Obviously, you've been to many. Fuji. Fuji? Yeah, yep. Fuji. Hands oh. down, hands down the best. Okay, tell us why, for those who haven't been there. Uh, well, anyone that hasn't been to Japan, you need to, because it's, it's incredible. But no, it's, it's just massive. Like, it's such a big circuit. You know, the the it's very technical to produce a lap time because the corners are quite long radius. So you're in there for a long time and you, you've really got to be on your game and hit your points. And then with the backdrop of Mount Fuji, which admittedly isn't always visible, even though it's so close, yeah. um, is something pretty special. So, yeah, I'd have to say Fuji. Well, thanks again, Josh. And um, Hopefully we can have you on next year to see on the progression of Volante Rosso and what's been happening with the team development. Sounds good. Thanks, Belinda. Thanks, Josh. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this week's show. I really hope you enjoyed that one as much as I did. Now, remember, all the show notes with the links and the specials mentioned in today's show are available over at motivatetraining.com.au. If you haven't already, I'd really appreciate if you could head to iTunes or Stitcher, type in Motorsport Coaching, subscribe, and leave us a review. Each week, I'll read them out, and you'll go into monthly draw to win a fantastic prize. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at motivatetraining.com.au or head over to our Facebook page at Motivate to Tea. Until next time, take care.